Today we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, as we are celebrating the second Sunday in Advent. We'll be looking specifically at verses 9 through 11. But before we read, let me just kind of set the context here to get our, our minds kind of thinking along with Isaiah here. Uh, who was Isaiah? He was an Old Testament prophet, as most of us know. He began his ministry around the year 740 B.C. And he prophesied during the reigns of four kings of Judah. The name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. And his ministry, like most of the Old Testament prophets, was to call his people, his nation, the Hebrew people, back to the worship of God that they had departed from. They had embraced the idolatry and the wicked practices of the pagan nations around them, but Isaiah was calling them back to the worship of Yahweh. Jesus refers to Isaiah's prophecy, for example, in John chapter 12, and the Apostle Paul quotes from it, for example, in chapter 10 of the book of Romans. Chapter 40, where we will be looking, what we'll be looking at today, begins the second half of this book. It begins with these great words, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, says your God. These words are precious to God's people. And they were precious to the nation of Israel back at that time, for they had suffered the righteous judgment of God for their sins. Amen. Yet God continued to love them and to seek to restore them. So the words say in Isaiah 40 verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see here that God speaks what? Not harshly, but he speaks comfort to his people. And he speaks tenderly to her. Now, if you've ever sinned against the Lord, and all of us have, how kind and gracious our God is to speak tenderly to us words of forgiveness and restoration. So all God's people, we always need these comforting words of tenderness and forgiveness from the Lord our God. And when we come to the Lord's table later in our service, this is exactly what we're grateful for, is it not? That God has tenderly forgiven us and is restoring us. Oh, what a gracious God He is. How worthy of our gratitude, our devotion, and our service. We sang those words earlier in the service during uh, a few minutes ago, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. How marvelous it is to hear that the Almighty and the Holy and the righteous and impeccable God would speak to sinners such as us, such as the nation of Israel was, words of comfort and pardon from the Holy God of heaven and earth. Well, 
In Isaiah 40, let's skip down from verses 1 and 2 down to verse 9 through 11, which I want to focus on today. And this is what the text says, Isaiah 40, verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Well, excuse me. I want us to concentrate today on verses 9 and 10 that were just read. So let's ask the Lord's blessing on the teaching of his word today. I'll lead us at this time. Gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come with eager anticipation before you today to hear from you, to hear from your word, because we know that Like the nation of Israel, we too are sinners, and you've been merciful to us as you were to them. You're such a kind and tender God to take our dreadful sins and place them on the shoulders of your Son who bore them and endured your wrath against our wicked sins. We are grateful that you are the good shepherd of your people and in the person of Jesus you revealed yourself as the kind shepherd who laid down his life for our sins and Jesus rose and he lives at your right hand and he's coming back as king of the kingdom of God and as the great and good shepherd of us your people he came once and he's coming again teach us today O father about your son the great shepherd who is surely returning to shepherd us into the everlasting green pastures of your never-ending reign. We pray with thanksgiving. Amen. 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 Verse 9. Of Isaiah 40 says, Go go on up on a high mountain, O Zion, Herald of good news, announcer of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. What do we have here? Well, we have a picture, a description of the coming arrival of God among his people. Behold your God. Surely this is good news that God would come among the cities of Judah and it's hard to believe that that this is written fear he says fear not lift up your voice fear not so fear is to be banished from among the people of God and then says behold your God behold him look at him see him well what is happening here Well, I believe that we are seeing a prophecy 
of the great covenant promise of the Bible that's written about in a number of places coming, it's going to come to pass. For example, uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is the covenant that I, will, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is, this is the goal of God saving us, that we might be his people and that he might be our God. In the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we see that God is there among his people in their midst and they are worshiping the Lord God and the Lamb who sits on the throne. Verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes. What's he talking about here? Well, I believe this is no mere theoretical coming or some kind of metaphor or picture describing God's spiritual arrival among his people by his presence in their hearts, although that's true also, but I believe there's more here. What's being prophesied here is the actual physical coming of God in the flesh among his people. The apostles could well have stood up in the temple courts in Jerusalem and Jesus was with them and they could have cried out to the people, Behold your God! And they would have been accurate because God was there among the people. We know as we read the Bible that God did come among his people in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He was enfleshed. God was enfleshed in our humanity. God took our human nature upon himself and he humbled himself to be implanted in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he was born as any other human child was born. His mother was in pain and he came out crying and skip, uh, screaming and kicking like any other child. And he was not born in a king's palace among luxury, but he was born in a stable. He was laid not in a, a gold-covered baby's bed, but in a cow's feeding trough because there was no room for them to stay in a rented room in Bethlehem on that night. And so on that night, God came among us. The Lord God comes. He came and began his earthly existence in Jesus the God-man. The Magi from the East understood this prophecy. They understood who was born. But he was not just a mere man. And they came to find this newborn king and to worship him. It would have been blasphemy for them to fall down on their knees before him and worship him and present him gifts if he was not God in the flesh. But God gave him the grace to understand his true identity. Well, verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Well, this is quite an amazing description of this shepherd. Several important things are said about him. That when God comes, he'll come to rule with might. And his reward is with him. And he'll tend his flock like a shepherd. And he'll gather the lambs in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, biblical prophecy often has a certain pattern in which when the prophet is prophesying under the inspiration of the Spirit, he may be prophesying about something that will be fulfilled in history. Or he may be prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. And he also may be prophesying about the end of the age and the consummation of the kingdom of God and the ushering in of the eternal order. Sometimes these prophecies can have double or triple meaning. And so when Isaiah said, Behold, your God comes, I believe he was talking about the first coming of the Messiah and also the second coming. And one of the, a couple of the reasons why, because it says uh, <clears throat> he comes to rule with might. Okay, when Jesus came the first time, he was not ruling with might. But the second time, he's certainly going to come and rule with might. Every eye will see him. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow before him, even his enemies. And he'll come with his reward. He'll reward his people. So he didn't do this his first coming. But he will certainly do this in his second coming. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He began that ministry in his first coming. And he'll continue it in his second coming. Well, this description of the shepherding God is an important concept, an important truth that's found in a number of places in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. We're all familiar with Psalm 23, which many of us learned from memory when we were young Christians. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, wrote King David. Makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David, as you know, was a shepherd boy. He worked for his father, tending the sheep. And he wrote this psalm, and he wrote it from a voice of experience. He knew sheep. He knew these animals. He knew their habits. And he he understood that they needed to be led. They needed to be protected from wolves and lions and so forth. They needed to be rescued when they fell in a hole. They needed to be healed when they were injured. Well, and he understood the role of a shepherd in caring for the sheep because he'd been a shepherd, for one thing. And so he describes Yahweh as the great shepherd of his people because David had experienced his tender 
keeping love. I'm sure it's the providence of God when he created sheep. In his wisdom, he made a particular kind of animal that cannot exist and survive on its own in the wilderness. It would soon be eaten by wolves or it would fall in a hole or it would not be able to find sufficient food to eat. Sheep need constant watch care, guidance, protection, and help. They have to have a shepherd to survive because there are many hazards that can befall them and they can lose their lives. They must have a shepherd to watch over them. And so David saw the relationship between sheep and shepherd and between God's people and the Lord. And the Lord is the shepherd of his people. So David applied this in Psalm 23 in a spiritual sense because uh, he restores my soul, said David. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the Lord God Yahweh was tending and guiding David and us, his people, not just to eat food physically, although he provides for us in every way, but he also provides for us spiritually. Yahweh restores our souls. We as sinful humans need restoration. We need a good shepherd who is kind to us. It's almost inconceivable, is it not, that the Hebrew people rejected this kind of shepherd God that they had. They they begin to worship the pagan gods and engage in their wicked practices. And they were led into every kind of abomination and wickedness of the nations around them. How foolish they were to give up the worship of the one true great shepherd for such pagan gods. And so we too in our lives have been content to eat the pig slop of this world instead of feeding on the green pastures of righteousness and holiness that the good shepherd would lead us to. There are other places where we see Yahweh is the the shepherd of his people. For example, in Psalm 78, uh, verses 52 and 55, we see that Yahweh is the shepherd who led his people out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness and into the promised land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. The scripture says in Psalm 78, Then he led his people out like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. So the people of God had a long history of being led by Yahweh their shepherd. He led them out of Egyptian bondage through 40 years of the uh, desert and finally into the promised land. We read this uh, prayer earlier in the service, Psalm 80, a prayer to God. 
Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Now, who is a shepherd? It says in verse 2, you are enthroned upon the cherubim. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth. Well, who's enthroned upon the cherubim? <laughs> in the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God on earth dwelt between the, the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. So this is the one who the prayer is to lead us, O shepherd of Israel. You're the enthroned one in the midst of your people. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So what is the prayer here? To the shepherd to come and save us, to stir up your might, to stir up your strength on our behalf. Well, who can do these kind of things for humans? Only God can do this. No mere human or earthly king has the power to save his people. Only God can save us from the great dangers and harms that surround us. Ezekiel chapter 34 talks quite a bit about shepherds. And finally in verse 23, Ezekiel says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Well, now, Ezekiel was writing his prophecy uh, a long time after, several hundred years after David lived. So he's not talking about historical David. He's talking about the greater David to come, the one who is descended from David, who would feed his people and be their shepherd. Well, if we fast forward in redemptive history into the New Testament, we see that the Son of God arrived in the person of Jesus Christ some 700 years after these prophets gave their prophecy. Who was this Jesus? Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says this, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So here is the arrival of the Son of God, anointed by the Spirit, and he's going around doing good because he's a good shepherd who leads his people to heal them and restore them and to help them. Jesus himself declared in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in John 10, Jesus ascribes to himself one of the major ministries of Yahweh in the Old Testament. He's equating himself with Yahweh of the Old Testament as the shepherd of his people. He says that he is the good shepherd. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now this verse 11 is actually one of the theme scriptures of our own church. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Our church is called the Good Shepherd Church. 
And we follow the Good Shepherd who laid down His life on Calvary's cross for our salvation. Of course, another reason uh, I like this text is because it has some Calvinistic implications. The fact that it focuses on the fact that Jesus, Jesus laid down His life for the sheep, not for the goats, as we read in Matthew. That is, He didn't lay down His life for the ungodly who reject Him, his redemptive work on Calvary's cross was specific and particular. It was intended for his people only and accomplished the end, the goal for which it was intended, the certain and secure and everlasting, effective, permanent salvation of his people. Christ came to die for his own beloved people whom he'd loved and chosen from before the foundation of the world. So we've been gathered into his fold by the plan of God that was set before creation began. We've come to know and understand and love and follow this great shepherd. So for us who were lost sheep and are now in the fold, to God be the glory. Amen. Great things he has done. Amen. Great mercy he has shown us. The Apostle Peter denied the Lord at the time of his trial before the governmental authorities. But soon after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter and restored him and commissioned him. This is the end of John's Gospel. Told him three times, feed my sheep. Peter was commissioned by the great and good shepherd to be a under-shepherd of the people of God. And so Peter, who was a fisherman by trade, became a shepherd of men and women. And in his first letter, 1 Peter, he gives advice to other under-shepherds about how to lead God's people. And then he says in 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he's talking to the under-shepherds. He says, but when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. I just wonder if maybe Peter had Isaiah 40, 11 in his mind when he said this. Or other passages that we looked at this morning regard Yahweh being the shepherd of his people. Well, certainly he was familiar with this teaching and he applied it in the New Testament church. He was there when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he describes his fellow Christians as straying sheep who returned to the shepherd. In 1 Peter 2.25 he says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's a good description of all of us. We were straying like sheep through this world, lost without God, blind to spiritual realities, in danger of falling in every kind of trap that the devil and our own sins laid out there for us. And then by the grace of God, we returned to Yahweh, to God, 
the great shepherd of his people. Well, if there's any doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of his people, it's removed if we read Hebrews 13, verse 20. In this benediction, the writer says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, God the Father brought from the dead Jesus, who is called the great shepherd of his sheep because of his shed blood. May this great shepherd equip you, O Christian, with everything good so that you can do his will and may work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He's working by His grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enable us to be pleasing in His sight, to be good sheep who the Lord is proud to call His own. And to this great shepherd, He says, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's no question that the great shepherd is God. Okay, God in the flesh to whom only, to whom glory is due. Well, let's take a glimpse into heaven. What do we see? Revelation 7, verse 17. The scripture says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So what do we see here? We see God's ministry as shepherd of his people, began long ago in the past. It was enfleshed in the person of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus rose from the dead. He sent forth his his spirit. He continues as our good and great shepherd at the Father's right hand, guiding us through this world by his word, applied by his Holy Spirit. We don't see him face to face, but he's still our good and great shepherd. But here's the culminating blessing. When Christ returns, he will be our great and good shepherd. And we will be with him in his presence. And there he will guide us personally and physically in his resurrected body. I'm sure the Holy Spirit will have a hand in all this, but God is coming. The Lord is coming. The great shepherd is returning to gather us as his lambs into his never-ending fold to be in his presence. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11, 10, 11 says... These key things. That he's coming. The Lord God is coming. He came and fleshed in Jesus. He's coming again at his return. He's coming to rule with might. He came in humility the first time. The great shepherd will be the revealed king. Worthy of all worship. Of all people when he returns. And he's coming to reward his people. 
He's coming for judgment also. He's coming to what? To shepherd his people. Mm-hmm. We have something wonderful to look forward to. Amen. The king is coming. Yes, he's going to be our king. The great priest, high priest is coming. He's at the Father's right hand. The great prophet of God is coming so that we will hear from his own mouth face to face the teaching of the word of God in the heavenlies in our never-ending fellowship with him. He's coming as the great shepherd to do what? It tells us in Isaiah 40, 11. He's going to tend his sheep like a shepherd. He's going to take care of all of our needs. He's going to gather the lambs in his arms. This is a picture of love and tenderness and care. Just like a mother gathers her baby child in her arms or a father. He's going to gather us. He's going to love us. It says he's going to carry them in his bosom. He's going to gently lead them. You know, he's the God of absolute holiness and righteousness and judgment. But he's also the God of gentleness. He's like a gentle shepherd. He will tend us, nourish us, feed us, carry us, be gentle with us in all the ages that will never end when Christ returns. Matthew Henry, that old commentator, writes this about these words in verse 11 of Isaiah 40. He said, His word is food for his flock to feed on. His ordinances are fields for them to feed in, such as the Lord's Supper. His ministers are under shepherds. He takes care of the lambs that are weak and cannot help themselves and those that are with young. The good shepherd has a tender care for children, that is, for young converts, for weak believers, those that are of a sorrowful spirit. These are the lambs of his flock. He'll gather them in when they wander, gather them up when they fall, gather them together when they are dispersed, and gather them home to himself at last. And all this with his own arm, out of which none shall be able to pluck them. John 10, 28. He will gently lead them. Well, Yahweh has always been the shepherd of his people. Yahweh appeared in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and did works of deliverance and healing and teaching and ministry, revealing himself as the good shepherd. He took to himself a divine title that was in the Old Testament. God is the shepherd of his people. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And that says, I'm the good shepherd that you've known in the history. I've arrived in your presence. And he's coming as the great shepherd. He continues to minister to us by his spirit and word and through his people as he's in the heavenlies right now. Amen. Amen. Well, 
Jesus is a good and great shepherd. And he is returning to shepherd us, his people, with his unending presence and provision for all our needs. Let's pray together. Dear gracious, wonderful, and gentle Father, you're so kind to provide us with a great shepherd who understands our needs, our weaknesses, our failures, our injuries. You're the one who restores us, who nourishes us, who leads us in green pastures, who restores our soul and leads us in paths of righteousness. O oh, great shepherd of your people, continue to guide us through the hazards and paths and hazards of this life. Yes. Sustain us when we're weak. Encourage us when we need encouragement. Strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being and in our physical bodies, Lord, that we might serve you. And we are thankful that when you return, you'll return not only as the king of glory, but as a tender and loving shepherd of your people. And so we look forward to being in your presence, Lord Jesus, great shepherd of your people. In your blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen.